Hello and welcome to Nerd Girl Musings Podcast. My name is Jen and I'm so glad you're here. Hi guys, welcome today. So I want to talk about a song. I know I've talked before about how important music is and how for me I can visually see or remember things that happened through music and movies and whatnot. So I want to talk about kind of like the the song that Trisha Yearwood has, the song Remembers When. Um, you know, I, I was actually sitting here at home and had this happen, and, and the uh, topic of what I should talk about this week just sort of came to me. Um, I can't say that there are many songs that have captured a moment in time for me, like the score for G.I. Jane. And I'm talking about just the original score. Um, there are two songs specifically. One is called Endurance, and the second is Conspiracy by Trevor Jones, who also did the um, Gone in 60 Seconds soundtrack. But when I first saw G.I. Jane in 1997, and, and you know I loved it, um, that movie is me in a nutshell. Uh, it was pre-Army for me. Um, when I was walking out of the theater with my friend, Wendy, she looked over and she was like, if you ever join the military, I will hurt you because she knew how much I liked it. And of course, you know, two years later, guess what I was doing. But anyway, a few months after watching the movie in the theater, I had a, I had a surgery that had some very unusual complications. And super long story short, I ended up with something that the doctors didn't know what it was or how to treat it. Um, I underwent numerous surgeries or what they called debridements at the time, trying to stop the progress of what was happening to me. I was on a morphine drip that would allow me to uh, give myself morphine every eight minutes. Um, and time just seemed to be slipping away. I was 20 years old at the time. So um, because my procedures were late in the afternoon, I'm not a huge breakfast person, regardless of what's going on in my life. I'm, I just don't like it. Um, and I particularly hate breakfast food. And when you're in the hospital, you can't really have an alternative for breakfast. They, they always want you to have certain things. So I didn't eat very much for breakfast. I wouldn't get lunch because that was prior to my procedures. And then I was usually down in recovery when dinner was served. So I wasn't eating very well. Um, and weight just started dropping off of me. So there's your miracle cure folks for weight loss. Go have some surgical procedures every single day for a couple of weeks and not eat very much and be on morphine. And there you go. Um, I should mention the surgery that started all of this was a breast reduction. I was 20 years old, like I said, and I was suffering greatly. So, you know, the surgeon was like, it's really simple, not a big deal. Um, and you'll be all recovered in time to get back to school at the end of August. And all went really well after my surgery on August 1st. And I sat down, I actually found a, um, I was looking for some photos and I found my timeline. So August 1st, 
was my surgery. Four days later, on August 5th, I started getting hot and cold flashes along with a spiking of my temperature. I was getting a fever. And looking at my timeline, I had also written a little diary, which was kind of scary to, to read now that I'm older and I understand more of what's, what's going on. But I had this discharge, for lack of, of better words. Um, it kind of looked to me like chocolate milk. It was this brownish color. And we called the doctor. And they were like, oh, not a big deal. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it's just normal stuff. You know, essentially, they blew me off. And, you know, at that point, it they didn't seem to think it was a big deal. So we didn't really think that it was a big deal. And a couple of days after that, on August 7th, I had a... Um, I had a, a follow-up appointment that day. So in the morning, I wanted to hop in the shower and um, make sure that I looked presentable before going out in public. And when I went to take the surgical bra off, this stuff just flowed. Um, and I, I mopped it up and I was like, you know what? Nope, I'm still going to take a shower. I've got to I've got to get in the shower. And as soon as I got in there, um, I started bleeding heavily. And so that, of course, was really scary. I finished the shower because either way, something was going to happen and I needed to be scrubbed clean. And so while I was showering, my mom called into the doctor and had said, you know, hey, something really is wrong here. Um, And they said, again, don't worry about it. You're coming in in a couple hours. We'll see you this afternoon. The doctor will take care of it. So we go into the doctor and he takes a look and he's like, yeah, you probably have some kind of an infection happening here. Uh, It again, didn't seem to really um, be concerned. It was almost downplaying what, what myself and my mom thought was an issue. And without explaining what or why he grabs a hold um, of my nipple and squeezed the tar out of it. Uh, quite a shock to me. It was extremely painful. You don't do that to somebody just in general, much less someone that just had surgery. Look up breast reduction and see what they do to you. And then tell me how you would feel a week later if somebody does this. But, uh, we're not talking Dr. Pimple Popper here where, you know, you're trying to just squeeze something out. We're talking like super painful. He squeezed it until essentially the brown colored stuff that I thought that looked like chocolate milk became blood. And then he was like, okay, there we go. We're all set. And um, they gave me antibiotics. And according to my mom, at that point, I turned beet red and then sheet white. And it was just absolutely excruciating. But he said, you know what? You're all fine. You're good to go. Warm compresses. That's all that you need. Draws out the infection or something. So that was on the 7th. And the next day, on the 8th, while we were again at home, 
my mom and I are taking a look at everything and she's like, you know, just it's something's not right here. I, I think we have a problem and had called the doctor and they said, you know, if you think you need a, a antibiotic, we can prescribe something. I mean, who's really the doctor here at this point? But they, uh, they sent us a prescription. So we filled that. And the next day, it did not look good. Uh, the pain for me had spiked up tremendously. Um, and my mom finally called the on-call doctor and she was like, we need to, I think we need to get in there and, and see someone because something is, is not going well here. So we take off to the ER and of course it's a weekend now. So um, this is sort of where things got a little fuzzy for me because I was in the hospital. Um, they said that I had a pretty major infection and I needed IV antibiotics. And of course I stay in the hospital because these things you can't do at home. And me being 20 years old, I was embarrassed that I was going to have people looking at me. I was upset that anything was going to be, you know, that people were going to be touching me and, you know, now I'm sitting in the hospital and all of these things together were just, it was embarrassing to me. And I, I just didn't, didn't like what was happening here. And so of course I became upset and I cried and, um, but they said, you know what, a couple of days you'll be fine. So at first they put me in a shared room and they tried different things with me. I do recall uh, them having to give me potassium and that sucker burned. I remember that. And they, uh, they were trying to, to get it in. I remember they were struggling to get my body to absorb things and, um, you know, give me a banana or two. That was, would have been much less painful, but at that point they decided to move me into a private room and they began my daily surgeries. So that started on the 10th and for the next five days, every day I would go into surgery. Uh, like I had said, you know, in the morning, didn't eat much at the lunch. I couldn't eat because I was preparing for surgery dinner. I was still in recovery. So my parents would bring me some stuff to snack on at night if I was up for it. Um, I was running a super high fever, like 103, 104 kind of thing. And the second I would try to sleep, I would drench the sheets just in sweat. And so then I was embarrassed to have to call somebody and say, hey, you know, I, I'm soaked to the bone. I'm now I'm freezing. And it was just a miserable time. I I remember how miserable that was. And one day, my mom and I were sitting in my room and heard a knock on the door. And this little guy, and, and I say little guy because he was probably my height, so short man, um, comes in and, and he introduced himself as Dr. Venerini. And he said, I think I know what this is. Because at this point, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And he said, if it is what I think it is, the last time I saw this was on night in 1972 on a 16-year-old in North Carolina. And if it is what I think it is, we need to stop all these surgeries. We need to pull out your IV. 
and we need to uh, essentially stop anything that's going to poke or prod you. Um, you could take oral pain meds, but that's it. And but I need to get in there and take a look. And and I was like, you give me drugs and you can take a peek. Otherwise, I'm not. I'm not uh, allowing this. But eventually, we got to a point where he um, he did get to take a look, and. It uh, it was one of those things that you know you're you're half doped up on morphine. I was tired. I was in pain. Um, so I just remember him saying, "Okay, you've got this this thing called pyoderma gangrenosum," and we actually had him spell it because I had never heard of this before. Um, in layman's terms, I can tell you it essentially means fire of the skin. Um, and everything, essentially, he said everything that we had been doing up until that day was wrong. And it was advancing it. And, you know, this was a lot to take in when you're sitting in the hospital, you're trying to understand what's going on. Um, and these these doctors that have been treating you for a week now, somebody else is saying they didn't do it right. And so, it, you know, it, it really kind of threw me up for a loop. And, um, but we stopped everything. And he said, from now on, I was going to be managed by the burn center, which didn't, didn't make sense to me. Uh, but every day they would, they would bring me up to the burn center. And first dressing change in the burn center was quite a doozy. Let me tell you, you get used to, being surrounded by people that are in a lot of pain um, and you're going through your own private hell in there essentially because you're, you're trying not to scream or cry or whatever because somebody next to you is going through something equally awful and you're awful and they're awful. Are, they might be very different, but you're, you're just in a world of misery. And I didn't realize why I was in the, in the burn unit. It didn't make any sense to me. And the first day that I went in there, I remember they, they brought me in and there was a table. It almost looked like something you would see in a morgue. It was a steel table. It was above a drain. And this young nurse, she, she said, uh, you know, what kind of music do you want to listen to? What, what's your favorite? What do, you, what do you like to listen to? And I couldn't, I couldn't think of, of anything. Um, and I, we had talked about movies and I had mentioned that I just saw G.I. Jane not that long ago. And she happened to have the soundtrack in there. And little did I realize at the time that those two songs from that soundtrack would become my anthem, essentially. And we would play those songs when we were at my worst moment, when it was the most painful. And it gave me or my mind a chance to focus on the rhythm in the music, the beat in the music, and just kind of take my mind away. So once we, once we got that figured out, um, I, you know, it just became routine that I would go up there, do my dressing changes, go back to my room. And once we had this routine down, I was allowed to leave the hospital, but we had to return every single day for daily dressing changes. Now this was not only time consuming uh, because it would take about an hour. 
Uh, it also, you had the drive into town. Uh, it was probably a half hour-ish, maybe each way. So you're talking a couple of hours a day where my mom usually had to take me in. And all of this while I was trying to get ready for the start of my um, college, what would have been sophomore year, I think, sophomore, junior year of college. And I had moved out of the dorms for that year. So I was living with two guys in a house. Um, and I went to Ferris State University. So it's not a super, super big school. We were a D2 school uh, with a few D1 sports. But so we weren't huge, but we were a pretty good size school. And, um, you know, so we were trying to figure out how is this going to happen so I can get to school when we start. And after a few days of, um, of doing this, you know, things seemed to be going really good. And then I would show up for my dressing change and it would be a lot of pain. And it feels like they're tearing this dressing off you. Um, makes everything worse and then they take care of it and then it gets better. And then, you know, so it felt like three steps forward, two steps back every single day. So they let me do a two day trial at home where my mom and I were the ones doing my dressing changes because we had to try to figure out how to do this for school because I went to school over an hour away from the hospital. And uh, so we did, uh, we did a two day trial. And my, um, my mom and I figured out that if I did my changes once a day, it was super painful, felt like everything stuck to me. But if I did it twice a day, it was much more bearable. Still took an hour each time, but it wasn't as painful. And, and at that point, that was the name of the game, just trying to keep things as simple, as painless as possible. and. You know, the one thing I I should mention, when I first went into the hospital, I had one spot on one side. And by the time I left the hospital, everything had jumped ship on both sides. So without being too graphic for most people, I had lost the skin on my chest completely. It was gone. And that's why I was being treated in the burn unit because it was similar to a burn. I had all my nerve endings were hanging out right there at the top, but there was no skin to protect it. So they follow certain protocol within a burn unit uh, that helps prevent infection. And they also understand how painful these things can be so they're prepared. Um, and they just have methods and tools of being able to work with people that have some super sensitive issues going on that need specific type of help. So once we had our kind of our rhythm down, the doctors approved me to go to school, but I had to then come back every week. So I, I'm sure it was a Friday, but I can't tell you exactly what day. I don't remember what day of the week that I would go down um, just to make sure that I was continuing to do a good job. I had a whole setup that I would prepare. Um, so I had a cutting board 
and I would put all my necessary equipment and supplies there on the cutting board and and there was um there was topical things that had to go on these mesh dressings there were I mean there was a lot of specific things and I knew exactly how many rolls of gauze went where and how much to use and um so it was it was quite a quite an ordeal it was something that I had to do every morning before I went to classes and then again at night before I went to bed and uh but I made it work so eventually we got to a point where um we had to discuss now what do we do when you don't have skin you can you have a couple of options you can let things go naturally and close on their own it takes a lot longer um and when skin heals it pulls it together because you have um, you just have the the elasticity in the skin once it starts connecting it just kind of pulls together so the doctor was afraid that it was going to be super uncomfortable that it could be painful and aesthetically it would not look good so think of any scar that you've had that um you know, maybe you've had an opening that perhaps you should have gotten some stitches on or something and you just slapped a Band-Aid on it and said, oh, it'll heal. So that's the type of thing. We had to wait for all of this to get to a point where it was healthy tissue and healing tissue. And they had put me on a super high dose of steroids, which comes with its own um, set of side effects. And every time my dosage was adjusted, the side effects would hit me like a brick truck. You know, one week it would be insomnia. The next week it would be heartburn. The next week it would be, I can't eat whatever. The next week it would be headaches and then it would be nausea. And then, so I, I did this for weeks and that's just kind of the, the world I lived in. Uh, but my surgeon and I decided the best course of action would be to do skin grafting because it would make essentially a more permanent um, cover for that skin that was missing. Well, where, um, where do young females, where do they take skin for a young female? From your ass. And picture this. You have no skin on your chest, so you can't lay on your chest. Now they're going to take skin off your ass and put it on your chest. But you can't lay on your chest still because that skin needs to heal. However, now your ass also has issues. So <laughs> it was a total mess. And I used to joke about that all the time. I was like, really, are we going to, I mean, do I sleep standing up now? What's the plan here? But uh, it was, you know, I tried to make the best of it and make jokes of it when I could. Um, you know, I remember telling, I think it was my grandmother, actually, um, that I had been felt up more when I was in the hospital than I ever had in my life. Um, you know, you just, you have to have fun and make the best of the situation that you're dealt with. Um, and so we had set a date for my skin graft surgery, which was in late September. And, uh, the cool thing is that my, my dear friend, Jen was in nursing school at the time and she happened to be there the, uh, the day of my skin graft surgery. So when I got out of surgery, got back in my room, because again, I had to be in the hospital for a few days. I, I can't remember if it was a full week. I want to say it was like three, four days. And they, they put the skin on and then they sewed on like cast material. So 
for a few days, I felt like Wonder Woman. I had this solid cast breastplate that was sewn into my skin. I could hit it with anything. I couldn't feel it. It was, it was fabulous. It was the least amount of pain that I had had at that point in months. And, um, so when it came time to actually remove those and to take a look and see how everything was holding up, my friend Jen was able to help my doctor and assist him in all of that. So that was, she got some learning. I had somebody I trusted there. So, you know, we got a kick out of it. But uh, it was the oddest thing when we when we took those pieces off that there there wasn't this pain there. It was a different kind of pain, but it was different. It wasn't a you don't have skin, all of your nerve endings screaming type of pain anymore. So the after the skin graft. Um, Thankfully, they take such a thin layer when you're doing skin grafting that it does heal pretty quickly. Um, and they use these, I don't even know what to call them, but like vacuum seal pouches kind of um, to cover the skin graft area. So it provides a, a skin tight or a seal and it allows them to heal without being exposed to air. So that didn't hurt initially, which was a, which was a good, a good thing. Um, and so by the end of, of that year, uh, things were healing, but they weren't healing as quickly or as nicely as I think everybody wanted. So they, uh, sent me to a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which was really unique. It was something that was almost unheard of at the time. I think we only had one in Grand Rapids alone. Um, it had received a lot of attention at the time because rumor had it Michael Jackson had a room installed in his home that was a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. So where most people would know this from is if you are a diver and you surface too quickly, you get something called the bends and they have to throw you in this tube. It's a hyperbaric oxygen chamber and they, they bring you down to the depth that you are at and slowly bring you back up where you should be. So the idea is that when you are at these depths, the oxygen you're breathing is so pure that it it stimulates increased healing. And so I would spend a couple hours in this hyperbaric oxygen chamber a few days a week, uh, breathing in this, this uh, 100% oxygen, and you'd get to throw in a movie. I could take whatever movie I wanted with me and they would put it on. And I had a TV just outside of the chamber. And then I was loaded in. And when you go in there, you can't have, like I had to wear scrubs. I couldn't have on any nail polish, no jewelry, no, uh, nothing in my hair. Um, I was allowed to take something in to drink, but you had to um, I had to put it into a sports bottle and keep the top off because pro tip, if you leave the top on and they start bringing you down, that stuff shoots, you know, because it's pressure. So it squeezes and it shoots all over the place. I wouldn't know why I would know that at all. But anyway, um, so, I mean, it wasn't a terrible thing. All you do is you just lay on a table and you go in there and you watch a movie for a couple hours and get out. Um, but I 
I was doing that on New Year's Eve of 1997. So the timeline was August 1st surgery. August 5th was temperature with um, hot cold flashes. August 7th was a little bit of draining and my follow-up appointment. August 8th, a hole. August 9th, bleeding, not looking right, went to the hospital and pain shot up. August 10th, surgery began. August 15th, Dr. Vitterini, with a diagnosis, introduced me to a steroid um, and the burn unit. August 17th, discharged from the hospital, but daily burn visit unit. Daily burn unit visits. Uh, August 21st, doctor gave me six to eight weeks before skin grafting, and we could start to decrease steroids. August 22 was my two-day trial to do my own dressing changes. Uh, September 8th, the I had both doctor visits, three weeks to skin grafting, and they reduced my steroids down to 20 milligrams. And September 28th were my skin grafting, and December 31st of that year was when my hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments were winding down. So that was quite a few months of time. And anytime I watch GI Jane or I hear the song, you know, maybe we put the movie on as background. Um, I am almost instantly transported back. And I can't believe that it's been almost 24 years now, but when I listen to those songs today, I'm able to go back to that zone uh, where in my mind, truly anything is bearable for a while, where better days are always coming and I can make it through whatever's coming and the assurance that I made it through that proverbial fire. So head on over to my Instagram and check out a couple of pictures that I'll put up. Um, I didn't put up any of the graphic stuff, so no worries. You don't have to be afraid. Um, It's just pictures of me and from the initial time in the surgery where you can see in my face I'm a little bit skinnier, and then also from the end where I had my skin grafts done and my face is really puffy from all the steroids. And then I also had a picture in there of my hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment And you can see how badly my hair was dyed. It was like whitish blonde. It was really a bad color for me. But at that point, it was one of the few things in my life I could control. So that's what I went with. My Instagram, Nerd Girl Musings, and that's girl G-R-L. So head on over there, say hello, check out the photos. Thanks for joining. Be well.